Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. It was not a big red wave for the Republicans at the midterm elections, more like a red ripple. So what can we take away from this? And what does it mean, really, for the direction of our country moving forward? Joining us now is one of the best political pros out there, Mark Lauder. He is communications officer of the great America First Policy Institute. Mark, great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rita. What's your reaction to the midterm elections? Were you surprised? Yeah, I, I was, obviously. I mean, I think the polls all indicated or were showing us something else, and it wasn't the best result. But I think we also have to keep this in perspective. Anytime you change the leadership of the House of Representatives and flip it to Republicans, it's only happened three times since 1954. That's a big deal. The gavel will be out of Nancy Pelosi's hands. The chair people will all be Republicans, America first, conservative. So I think, you know, that right there puts an absolute halt to Joe Biden's agenda against American energy, spending billions and trillions of dollars that put us into a recession and inflation. And so that right there is a good thing to take note of. What were you predicting was going to happen? Not even just looking at the polls, but just your gut. I thought I went on Twitter and public and national television and said 242 in the House and 53 in the Senate. And I actually thought I was going to be a little low on the House side, thought we might get a little more than that. Obviously, you know, the results have come out differently. But, you know, as we're starting to look more and more into this, and it should be noted, you know, the control of the Senate is still up at this time. We don't know. We might not know here for a few more days. But there is still definitely a path and a possibility for retaking control of the Senate, which is definitely hopeful. But when I look at things from, like I looked at the Associated Press's vote cast, their exit polling. And when you compare the 2020 to 2022 demographics, it shows Republicans gained 22% more support from Hispanic and Latino voters, 14% more support from black voters, 5% more support from white voters with college degrees. That's actually cutting into the Democrat base, and it's eviscerating it. And so while it may not have changed the end result in some of these toss-up elections, it made them really close. They're now competing, and we're competing, on their turf. I mean, look at the New York governor's race, 5%. When is the last time we had a close New York governor's race? You had the chairman of the DCCC, the Democrat campaign arm, lose his seat in New York. You're seeing seats flip in California the governor's race in Oregon, a Senate seat in the state of Washington, which was competitive, but didn't ultimately go. The president had to go to New Mexico to campaign for a governor candidate there. Well, New Mexico hasn't elected a Republican. It only happened one time in 30 years, and that was right after 9-11. So we're fighting on their turf. And I don't think it may not have shown up completely in the results, but I think it will down the road. You know, what's interesting, too, Mark, it seems like a mixed bag in many ways, because there's not really any clear answer as to some that did better than others, because some people have said, well, this person was Trump backed and it works. Some place that said it didn't work, but it really is all over the place. There doesn't seem to be a clear resounding message. Do you think there is? 
Well, I think the message was there in terms of our proactive message. But so often what we see in these races is that they come down to local issues or local candidates. You know, you might have a longtime state senator who's been around for, you know, for a long time challenging either, you know, a new incumbent or a new off candidate. So a lot of times local issues can play in that candidate selection is absolutely important to that. But I think as we look and move further and further down this path, I'm encouraged that when we look at the map in 24, which is much more challenging for Democrats than even the 22 map, the stage is set and we have the message. I don't think that Joe Biden can stand on his own results, which he didn't have last time. You know, if Joe Biden says he's running again, well, he didn't have a record then. He does have a record now and the American people don't like it. Do you think it would be a different competition if really if it's Joe Biden on the referendum? Oh, absolutely. And and that's true of any incumbent. I mean, when you're a challenger, you're talking about your plans and your hopes and your dreams. And really, the only thing they can judge you by is, you know, maybe your record, you know, from the Senate for the last 50 years or so. But in Joe Biden's case, but you didn't have record as president. Now you do. And so whether it's gas prices, inflation, Afghanistan, the border, crime, education, well, that falls on your report card, Mr. President. And it doesn't matter who on our side runs. You're going to have that exposed. You're going to have to defend it. And you have to tell the American people why three quarters of America thinks we're on the wrong path, yet you deserve to be in the job for more years. Do you firmly believe that President Biden will now run again? And do you think he obviously is very vulnerable if so? Well, I think his record absolutely makes him vulnerable. I think his polling obviously makes him vulnerable. You know, I think they will mistakenly take the results from this election, and they're still being hashed out. Obviously, we don't know the final numbers. I think they will mistake this as a big win for them. And when it comes to his record, and when there is a, you know, when there is an America first candidate on the other side challenging him, I think he's going to have a much more difficult time explaining why gas prices are at record highs, but we should go buy an electric vehicle. That's just not going to work when people in the Northeast are going to spend this winter choosing between heating their homes and feeding their families. Do you believe he'll be on the ticket? Do you believe that this sort of emboldens him to say, let's go for another run? I think it does. I think it will embolden him. You know, this is, let's not forget, this is a man who has been seeking this job for about the past 40 years. And so it's something that he's obviously long dreamed of. And, and, you know, it would take a lot to make him, you know, not run. But they'll look at the polls, they'll look at their own standing and all the other issues to see if he can do it. But it sounds like what you're hearing reported coming out of the White House that he plans to run. And you think he's vulnerable in 2024, if so? Of all things being equal today, and they never are, but if they are all equal today, then yes, he is absolutely, he's probably the most vulnerable president seeking reelection since Jimmy Carter. Wow. So you think, obviously, if you look at the midterms, they were clearly a referendum on the candidates, the individual candidates. He will be obviously on the ballot. He can't escape his record at that point. Is that your point that it's a whole different ball game than 2022? It's a whole different ballgame. I think, you know, it goes back to that old axiom, you know, that people generally hate Congress, but they like their congressperson. So, you know, they may not like the direction of the country, but they know and see and have trusted their congressperson or their candidate. And so, you know, I think there was a lot of that going on. You know, we didn't see many incumbents on either side lose. 
you saw a lot of seats that shifted hands, but not that many compared to what we were seeing. So I think that's generally what we're seeing here. But when his record is on the ballot, when his record is the one he has to defend, and he's not just doing it to a media that's very soft on him, he's doing it in, you know, in debates, standing against a Republican challenger with a plan to undo the damage he's caused. I think it'll be much different. Do you believe also he might even face primary challenges within his own party, whether it's Buttigieg or Kamala Harris? There's rumors that she's sort of trying to tee herself up. I would find it highly doubtful that either of those two would go against the sitting president, especially from inside the cabinet or inside the White House, if he chose to seek reelection. You know, if he continues to be weakened in the polls, I could see someone like a, you know, maybe a Gavin Newsom or somebody giving a shot at it or Obviously, if Secretary Buttigieg, you know, stepped down, he could try it. But I think that, you know, that will come this summer. That's when you're really going to start to have those conversations. And if you're running for president, you need to be basically on the ballot declared by this summer at the latest, because, you know, we're just over 13 months away from the first primaries and caucuses. Which is just amazing. And of course, scary. we still have to. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's incredible how fast this whole cycle has been. What about before we get into sort of the GOP side of it, Mark Lauder? What about also the policies? You know, a lot of people have said, you know, many of the reasons that Lee Zeldin, for example, was running was, of course, about, you know, fighting crime, seeing, you know, this flailing economy. Those were issues that were very much top of the exit polls, as we saw in a lot of the different races. Do you see the Democrats now, since they didn't experience a red wave on the other side, do you think that they will change any of their policies? A lot of people are saying, well, well, they're worried about New York because, you know, yes, he came close, but Kathy Hochul won and she has not been as tough on crime, no way, as Lee Zeldin. And then you also see other candidates across the country. And in some of those races where the Democrat prevailed, who were considered soft on crime, for example, you know, I think of John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. My goodness. What does this portend for Pennsylvania and for the country? Well, I think the one thing we can count on is the White House misreading these results as we are coming to know them. You know, I see that the president said in his news conference the day after the midterms that he does not plan to shift course. He does not plan to change course. Well, he can say that, but I'll guarantee you one thing, a House Republican majority is going to change his course or force him to deal with that course. Because, you know, we now have the power of at least one chamber and maybe two, which means you're going to get bills that are going to be sent over. There's going to be hearings. You're going to have your Secretary of Homeland Security explain why the border is not secure, which we all know it's not secure. You're going to have your DOJ talk about why they were targeting parents uh, who protested or raised their voices at school board meetings and considered them domestic terrorists. You're going to have to explain. Your energy secretary is going to have to explain why gas prices are so high, why people don't have enough heating oil in the Northeast. All of these things were whitewashed by the current Congress. Once those gavels change hands on January 3rd, they will be front and center. And if you get the Senate to go with it, now you have the makings of actually getting legislation on the floor, making vulnerable Democrat senators pick and choose, and ultimately sending bills to the president where he's got to choose between AOC, the squad, and what the American people want, and where will his allegiances fall. 
do you believe there will be some of these hearings that you talked about? Because you're right, they haven't been really properly explaining what's happening at the border. I think about even Fauci. I mean, there's so many of these issues. The DOJ, as you brought up with domestic terrorists, there are so many of these questions. What do you believe that they will go through all of these? And what happens to the January 6th committee? Is that done? Well, obviously, I don't want to speak for the new leadership of the House, you know, in terms of, but I mean, I can tell you what, you know, there will definitely be oversight. There will definitely be investigations. It would not surprise me, obviously, the origins of COVID. It would not surprise me, obviously, the situation at the border and some of those other issues. And I'm sure there are many others as well, but I'll let them make those calls. But the one thing I can tell you is that like issues one, two, and three will be the energy and inflation, securing the southern border, and China and dealing with China. Those are going to be the first three among the first three bills that they move through a America first house, along with probably, you know, something pretty quick to defund those 87,000 new IRS agents. Yeah, I was going to say, because they will hold, you know, the purse strings. And you just brought up a great point, the hold IRS agents. That could obviously be wiped away. Do you also believe even some of the stuff with, you know, obviously Liz Cheney is no longer in power there, but is that an end to the January 6th commission too, which was obviously highly partisan? I would assume that that would be the case, or if it were to continue, obviously, I think it would continue with, you know, with a more thorough and fair and open-minded rather than some made-for-TV production where they hired an ABC News TV producer to create this fiction that they portrayed. And you'll find out why the intelligence was ignored, why there were not more steps taken to secure the Capitol on that day when they knew in advance that there was the potential you know, for the, those tragic events. Absolutely. There's so many unanswered questions and the American public deserves to get these answers. And just to your point, so many of these issues have just been sort of swept under the rug or avoided or chunks pulled out. So it's been clearly micromanaged. And yet Mayorkas and some of these huge issues that we all see, it's been astounding to watch the campaigns because it's been what crime, what open border? You know, it's almost like ignoring it. And I think you bring up some superb points here, Mark, that now it will go back on the front burner and really the American public will finally get some really key, interesting, important answers. And that can also help decide where they go for future races, for sure. You know, suddenly the answers come out that have been swept under the rug. And I think Democrats will no longer be able to avoid it, don't you think? No, absolutely. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if the media will continue to be able to ignore it. Right now, they're allowed to sweep things under the rug because there is no investigation. There is no oversight. There are no difficult answers for those secretaries and government officials. Well, that stops on January 3rd. Absolutely. What about surprises from the midterms? Were there any races that surprised you one way, like disappointment, and then others that you were surprisingly happy about? Well, I mean, I think you can't ignore what happened in Florida. And, you know, let's not forget that was Ron DeSantis who in 2018, I think, won with what, three tenths of a percent of the vote, you know, over a very difficult, troubled and now, you know, indicted Democrat. He won that state by 19 points. He turned Miami-Dade County, which Donald Trump lost Miami-Dade County in 2016 to Hillary Clinton by 29 points. He flipped it and turned it red, along with Palm Beach, along with Osceola, uh, Hillsborough County, which is basically Tampa Bay. Very strong Democrat stronghold. And I believe, I, don't, I haven't seen lately, but I, last I saw, it was pretty much running even if he did not actually go ahead and flip it. 
So huge win for the governor down in Florida, as well as Marco Rubio. The Hispanic growth, the black American vote growth, all of those things were good. Was there anything that disappointed you that you thought, I mean, obviously, other than the overall results, but were there ones that surprised you? Did you think that Fetterman would pull it out over Oz? I knew it was going to be a close race. I knew it was going to be a difficult race. You know, I was a little surprised that Oz did not perform better. I thought that race was going to be a little bit closer. I'm keeping a very close eye on Arizona. I think Carrie Lake is looking good right now, at least according to the latest numbers I've seen. So those are positive things. I also thought the governor's race in Michigan, actually most almost every race in Michigan really shocked me. You know, that was a not a good outing in uh, the state of Michigan for the red team up and down the ticket. And so that was really a, a huge disappointment. And I think it's going to set that state back a long way. Yeah, Tudor Dixon not doing as well. And it looked like she was doing better in the polls against Gretchen Whitmer there, too. I agree. What do you think is coming up next? Because the New York Post now has on its cover calling Ron DeSantis the future. <laughs> do you think <laughs> we'll see? I know I love, it was, they always have these great headlines, Mark. What was your reaction to sort of the DeSantis in terms of the implication for him in the future? And what do you sort of see ahead? I know that there's a number of candidates. I know you know a lot of these folks. You know, there's talk about Mike Pompeo. There's talk about Mike Pence, who I know you know well. Of course, President Trump, that may be coming up even within a matter of days. What are your thoughts about sort of the mix of who could be in on the GOP side? Yeah, I mean, well, I think there's probably little question. You know, I think he signaled that obviously that there's little doubt that the former president will announce now, whether that is next Tuesday or, or at some other time. You know, I think, you know, all indications continue to point that way. As for others, you know, they're going to have to make their own decisions on that. Clearly, he still remains the 600-pound gorilla on the Republican side. You know, the one thing about Ron DeSantis, and, you know, he's absolutely a rising star, whether that star peaks in 24 or has another timetable, you know, I don't know. But I think one thing is he's young. I mean, he's 44, I think 45 years old. So, you know, every politician always fears that clock is ticking and that they miss their window. They may never get the window back. They may never get a chance. You know, this is a guy who's actually got quite a few windows ahead of him. And so I think, you know, that may change the dynamic a little bit. But obviously, you know, that's really ultimately going to be up to him. I do know that he has a legislative session that runs like March through May, if I remember correctly. So, you know, as a newly elected governor, a re-elected governor, you know, does that mean he's waiting until after that legislation, legislative session to decide or will he decide before that? You know, those are all the kinds of things that have to go into it. But again, we're a year from January from the first votes being cast in, you know, in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that's not a lot of time in the political world. Yeah, it is amazing just how fast it's already going to be on the presidential race. Of course, all eyes on what's going to happen in Georgia, you know, in December and then soon afterwards, of course, the new Congress. And it is going to be like whiplash with all this stuff. And I think there's going to be a lot of names, don't you, real quick, Mark? I do. I think a couple of things. Number one, obviously, should the former president decide to get in, that changes the dynamic a lot. You know, Absolutely. Be- Does that clear the field in many ways? I'm not sure if it'll clear the field or not. I'm, you know, I think there's a few out there who might consider it anyway. I'm not going to name names. If he doesn't for some reason, which I, again, I don't know that. I don't think that's, you know, currently what's expected. But if for some reason he decided not to run, then I think you would have a very large field and a very wide open field that would step up. But you have to, you know, obviously 
the general rule of thumb is you get one shot at it, and most people don't get multiple runs. A few have in history, Joe Biden being one of them. So we'll see. Yeah, boy, it is going to be fascinating to see. Thank you, everybody. And make sure that you download and share this podcast with everyone. And Mark Lauder, most importantly, thank you for all you do to keep America safe and all the great values there at the America First Policy Institute. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rita. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.